2: A plea to keep Britons indoors. We cannot
3: relax our discipline now. If we do, people will die.
2: Brazil's president downplays the pandemic.
3: Bolsonaro has dismissed the virus as a little flu and the sniffles.
2: And we take isolation advice from an astronaut. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leludis. Health Secretary Matt Hancock is warning that people will die if Britons break social distancing measures to enjoy warmer weather this weekend. It comes as the UK death toll surpassed official figures in China with over 680 coronavirus deaths recorded in just one day. For the second day in a row, more than 10,000 people were tested in the UK. But with a government target now in place to test more than 100,000 people a day by the end of the month, the pressure's on. In the last 24 hours, two nurses and two healthcare assistants have died from the virus. That while only 7,000 NHS staff have been tested. To understand just how far behind other countries the UK is on testing, I asked my colleague Dominic Gilbert, a data journalist with The Telegraph, to break down the numbers numbers.
4: In early March, just 2,000 people a day were being tested, half of the capacity at the time. Germany was testing 180,000 people a week at the start of last month and have now tested more than 860,000. This has left the UK lagging behind others in terms of testing. Just one in every 400 people have now been tested in the UK and the death rate here is much higher, more than 8%. In countries like Germany, Norway and South Korea, death rates have been kept below 2% as they've already tested huge numbers of people. In Germany, one in every hundred people have now been tested. In Norway, it's two in every hundred. If testing rates stayed the same, it would take more than 18 years to test the entire population.
2: But why has the government strategy meant mass testing hasn't been implemented as quickly in the UK as other countries? Where did the strategy fail? I put that question to The Telegraph's global health security editor, Paul Nuki.
1: Well, I think if one looks back, it probably dates back to 2011, the original pandemic plan didn't envisage the need for mass testing. So that was certainly one mistake. And then in 2016, they had actually modelled a pandemic very like the one we are seeing today. And they haven't published the results of that drill, but um, it's evident from the people we've talked to that for one reason or another, mass testing wasn't used as a response in that um, dry run.
2: Paul, we don't know why the government didn't include mass testing in their pandemic modelling, but what was the thinking this time round? Why didn't they start implementing mass testing early on in this pandemic?
1: Well, the government says that they didn't do it because they were modelling an influenza outbreak rather than a coronavirus outbreak, and that tests are necessary for an influenza epidemic. But that seems a little bit questionable to me. The WHO advice is very clear that testing would be needed for an influenza epidemic. It's also the case, I think, that if there was a new uh, influenza outbreak, it would be incredible to know who had got that disease and who had just got the common flu. Testing would be absolutely crucial uh, to both containing uh, the disease at the outset and enabling an exit from any um, social distancing measures you put in place.
2: While the UK is being urged to stay at home unless absolutely necessary... Brazil's president is taking a rather different approach. Jair Bolsonaro has criticised what he called dictatorial moves from the governor of Rio de Janeiro to stop citizens from going to the beach. It contradicts guidelines from his own health ministry to avoid crowds. At least 330 people are confirmed to have died with the virus in Brazil, but reports of overcrowded cemeteries in Sao Paulo and cases confirmed in a remote part of the Amazon rainforest suggest actual numbers may be much higher. Ewan Marshall sent me this report from Sao Paulo.
3: Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro is an outlier in global terms, being the only leader of a major country to flatly deny the severity of the coronavirus pandemic. With the death count in the country rising and cemeteries receiving dozens of suspected coronavirus deaths every day, Bolsonaro has dismissed the virus as a little flu and the sniffles. His idea is that only over 60s and those in risk groups should be isolated, allowing the rest to go back to work as normal. And despite having turned 65 a couple of weeks ago, Bolsonaro claims he's not at risk himself due to his, quote, history as an athlete. Now, Bolsonaro usually takes his political cues from Donald Trump in Washington, but even Trump has changed tack in favour of isolation. Bolsonaro, for now, hasn't followed suit. But although Bolsonaro's against social isolation measures, there's not that much he can do about it. Brazil's state governors have the jurisdiction to impose quarantines within their own boundaries, and all states have shut down schools and non-essential businesses. The fear is that as Bolsonaro becomes more and more politically isolated, he may use his links with the armed forces to breach with democracy and expand his own powers even further. But for the public there's an even bigger fear. I spoke to one leading infectious disease expert this week and he believes Bolsonaro's stance will lead Brazil's health system to utter collapse, saying that the only way out would be to have Jair Bolsonaro committed.
2: At the beginning of the week, the government announced a £75 million rescue package to help Britons stranded in places where commercial flights could no longer bring them home. But as the weekend begins, there are still hundreds of thousands of Britons stuck abroad. The Foreign Office says it's working around the clock to support tourists. On Monday, Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab said vulnerable people would be prioritised. But The Telegraph's Mariana Hunt says even those with serious illnesses are still waiting to hear when... And they'll return. The government hasn't given a timeline for how long it will take to return all stranded travellers back to Britain or said which countries will come first. Dozens of people have been contacting the Telegraph, anxious about when the rescue flights will arrive. One woman had been fighting for around two weeks to get her daughter home from Peru. She only has one lung and was struggling to find enough food to eat. Catherine Harbin is currently stuck in Thailand, where she was getting treatment for terminal cancer. She told me she is quickly running low on the cancer medicines she relies on and may miss important appointments with her oncologist if she can't get home soon. She said she was worried, isolated and alone and already facing an uncertain future.
4: Worrying what the future holds is something that terminal cancer patients go through every single day. I'm in Thailand and I'm on a trial of special repurposed medication that's starving my cancer cells of nutrients. Some of these drugs can be used to treat COVID. It's very frightening being unable to get home.
2: Footballers could see a 30% pay cut after Premier League clubs agreed to ask players to assist with the payment of non-paying staff during the pandemic. Both players and their employers had faced intense criticism after some clubs furloughed non-playing staff without cutting players' wages during the lockdown. Health Secretary Matt Hancock said on Thursday that footballers should take a pay cut and play their part. And today, Premier League shareholders confirmed talks will be held with a view to wage cuts. They also acknowledged that the season wouldn't begin in May. The Telegraph's chief football writer Sam Wallace has more.
4: The way I read this issue is that the players and the clubs are fundamentally in disagreement over who should pick up uh, the financial burden for the game being suspended at the moment. I think the players feel that the owners, many of whom in the Premier League, as we know, are billionaires who've got multiple sports franchises all over the world, they feel that they should be picking up the slack. Uh, the clubs themselves say no. It should be the players. Uh, when we're not playing football at the moment, and therefore they should accept a uh, deferral or cut on their salaries. So this has to be resolved. I think it probably will be over the weekend. There are there are other issues around this, of course. The uh, return to the football landscape of the uh, players' union chief Gordon Taylor, who who seems to. Uh, take great delight in saying no to clubs. Um, He was in talks with the Premier League on Thursday and the statement that came out afterwards was very robust that if clubs want their players to take cuts, they have to have full disclosure on their finances and even then there'd probably only be deferrals. So we're left with the players who do want to help. Um, many of them would much rather, I think, make contributions to the NHS and charities than give that money back to their clubs. The question is just how dire is the need? And I think in the Premier League, it's probably not as immediate as it is in the Football League where we are told that some clubs are um, are quite close to extinction if they can't meet their April payroll. I think in that division, there will be no question that cuts will have to be made to wages, cuts, deferrals in the Premier League. I think there will be a little bit further to go in terms of negotiating what that looks like between the players and the clubs.
2: It's set to be one of the sunniest weekends of the year so far, with temperatures of 21 degrees in London and the southeast, and 20 degrees in other parts of the country. But Boris Johnson is urging the public to resist the temptation to break the coronavirus lockdown. Luckily, there's plenty to get on with inside. The Royal Opera House will be streaming the Royal Ballet's production of Peter and the Wolf at seven o'clock on Friday evening. That's on their YouTube and Facebook pages. And on Sunday, the London Symphony Orchestra is streaming Verdi Requiem at seven o'clock on their YouTube channel. I needn't remind you how many brilliant podcasts The Telegraph also has for you to feast your ears on. But if you're struggling with the long days indoors, The Telegraph spoke to a man who knows a lot about being cooped up, former astronaut Chris Hadfield. Here's his advice for learning how to live a new life inside. I think
0: the life of self-isolation is sort of now a little appetizer for everybody who's doing it of what the life of an astronaut is actually like. You wake up, you spend your entire day, and you go to bed all within the confines of the same walls. That's not normal for most people. So maybe shift your own perception. Stop thinking of yourself as someone who is cooped up and trapped at home with people you wouldn't normally spend time with, and instead say, I have a crew. I have a spaceship, I have a, we have a common purpose and a common enemy, and we need to adjust what's happening to emerge out of this victorious. And that's how we work on a spaceship. We do well as human beings with, with a pattern. Start breaking your day up into chunks. You know, okay, from 9 to 11, I'm going to do this. I, I've got to do this from 12 till 1. I've got to do this at 7am, whatever. And uh, you come in at the end of the day with a little bit of self-pride and i think that helps don't try and just import an unsuitable pattern into a different set of circumstances and expect it to work like normal You, you have to make some adjustments most of the adjustments start with yourself
2: wise words there from former astronaut chris hadfield that's all from me this week. I hope you have a lovely weekend. If you have any questions for our journalists or topics you think we should be covering, email me. It's coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter as well. It's T underscore I know I said I wouldn't, but if you are looking for something to listen to over the weekend, I can highly recommend the new episode of Bryony Gordon's Mad World podcast that's coming out on Saturday. Bryony is one of the country's leading voices in the drive to get us talking about mental health. In her new series, she'll be showcasing intimate conversations about mental health during this unprecedented time. In the first episode, she speaks to two nurses with first-hand experience of fighting a pandemic. It's an honest, warm, and at times even joyful conversation, and I really think you'll enjoy it. I'll put the link to subscribe to that podcast in the show notes to this one. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll be back on Monday evening with another update. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with all of The Telegraph's news, analysis and advice from all the journalists you've heard today for free for the first 30 days and for just £3 a week after that. Go to telegraph.co.uk slash audio.